when we were singing that song and as you were coming forward and putting flowers on the cross, uh, the Lord uh, told me to read from uh, just, just, just these three verses uh, from Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. See, he's been resurrected. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast. There's a reason for this. There's a reason why Jesus came, lived his life among us, dwelt among us, died for us, and rose for us. Let us hold fast our confession. A high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect is tempted as we are, but is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. God has a throne of grace for you. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be willing to come forward. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Father, as we enter into your word this morning, as we hear the message of Easter and think about um, being prepared for that message, I just ask, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon not only this place, but mostly in our hearts and in our minds. Thank you for what you're doing in this church and what you're doing throughout the world to proclaim the gospel through the church. We pray for all those who have been, uh, who've lost their lives this morning. Um, I heard a horrible story about that. But Lord, at the same time, we pray that the message of salvation would be given throughout the world and people would come to Christ that they would be ready for your return. So be in this word, Lord. I pray that it would be your word, not my word so much as just your word. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. I'll open with a story from Arthur Gordon, who is a uh, wonderful storyteller. Uh, he writes from events of his own life. Um, this is what he says. He says, it was one of those aimless, curious Sunday mornings. Actually, um, it moved into the afternoon. And it's one of, those, one of those afternoons that every family knows about. Uh, I'd driven the children out of the count, uh, country, out to the country, to look for some, uh, some pine cones and some acorns. Uh, he didn't have much of a mission there. Uh, going out to the country to search for pine corns and acorns. So he said, hey, it's better to have something to do than nothing. So he ends up, he says that, his, that the mother of the children, his wife, had uh, the, a touch of the flu. She was sick. And so he wanted to let her rest. Uh, so there I was, out in the country with the kids and I. The kids, just the kids and I. It, it was one of those hazy autumn days. Uh, we sometimes get in the deep south when the no wind stirs and the dust motes. I don't know if you know what a dust mote is. But when the dust motes hang like golden smoke in the soft air. It, it was one of those days when I was feeling depressed. Ever had one of those days? You're just kind of depressed. You're not even sure why. He says, no single overwhelming problem, just a combination of things. A friend had done me an unkindness, so I thought. 
A promising writing assignment, he was a writer, a promising writing assignment had fallen through. There was inside our family circle a corrosive little problem of human relationships that stubbornly refused to yield to reason or common sense. Those three things. Those things kept eddying through my mind, he says. And at just about sundown, we, we came across a place that seemed to fit my depressed mood just perfectly. We found a forgotten cemetery in a quiet oak grove, lichen-covered headstones tilted fantastically under a ghostly canopy of Spanish moss. The children ran around like a pack of animals. You know how children do that. They're running around all over the place, and they were playing a game. Uh, they, they, they were looking for different dates on the tombstones. Hey, I found an 1840. Really? That's nothing. I found an 1812. I stood by the weathered stones and thought about life. And You know, uh, an owl came out of a tree that was disturbed by those children yelling and screaming and playing games. And I said, at least in my mind, to the owl, I said, hey, um, children's voices don't trouble the dead. Don't worry about that. The stone beside me, and this is where the story gets really interesting, the stone stone beside me marked the resting place of somebody's beloved wife who had died in 1865. Now, you know what 1865 is. It's during the Civil War. It's the time that the Civil War ended. It says that that she died of a fever. And beneath her name was a line of script almost indistinguishable. I looked closer, wondering if someone had given scripture or said something about, about this, this uh, wife of her from the, from the Bible. But it was not a quotation, it was a statement. And this is what the statement said on the tombstone. Ever she, shot, ever she sought the best, ever found it. Eight words. Ever she sought the best, ever she found it. Wait a minute. Ever she sought the best. No, it's not the she. It's ever she sought the best, ever found it. Eight words. I stood there with my fingers going over the tombstone and thinking about that. The present began to fade and the past began to stir behind an illusion that we call time. A century ago, this woman had lived through a horrible war. And, and I wondered, what was it like for those who loved her? that she left behind. Uh, When that war ended, the country was beaten and it was broken. Uh, Her family must have been beaten and broken. Uh, She must have known humiliation. She must have tasted despair. Yet someone knew her just well enough to write these words that she always looked for the best and she always found it. You know, it's, 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 a strange, it's strange sometimes how a single phrase, a single set of words can change your day. And these words changed my day. There was courage in those words, dignity and purpose, a kind of triumph too, as if it contained the secret of inestimable value. We, what we look for in life, they seem to be saying, you will surely find, but the direction in which you look is up to you. It's your decision. Are you going to see the good in things? Now, I don't know if you have had words like that in your life. Words spoken to you that you didn't expect. Words that came to you that changed your day. Um, But I've had words like that. 
this, Gordon continues the story. He says, he, says, uh, he says this, he says, well, hey, you know, the friend of mine that hurt me, that didn't seem like that big a deal anymore. Uh, the loss of a writing assignment, there's always another writing assignment for a writer. And that family relationship, you know what? Love always wins in the end. See, author Gordon, because of eight simple words, received an experience, a type of epiphany. An epiphany in a cemetery. A place that's reserved for death but gave him a sense of life. And words can absolutely do that. The right words can change our lives. Uh, you've had that, right? You've had that phone call from a friend unexpectedly, maybe a text message from, from a friend or a family member unexpectedly. And how about just something that someone says to you when you go to work or maybe you're at school and someone, just, someone puts a hand on your shoulder and says, you know, I really like the way you, the way you uh, treated that person or I really like the way you respect someone or I really like what you've done or I really like your friendship. Words like that can change people. The power of words. Um, and of course, as Christians, we know some words from long ago, right? We know some words from long ago. I'm speaking about words from an ancient book. I'm speaking about what we call the Bible, right? Do you know where the word Bible comes from? It comes from the Latin, and it comes from the Greek, right? And it simply means book. The Bible is really just, just an English rendering of, of the Greek and or the Latin, the Bible. You know, someone out there must have thought that this Bible is so important that it can change lives. And I think we have some testimonies to that. I think we have some testimonies to that in this room. The Bible can change lives. Ancient words. And the New Testament is not bashful at all about words, how important the word is. Gospel of John begins this way, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The power of a Word. And of course, right here we see that this Word here is, is about a person. I mean, think about this. If eight words on a tombstone can change a person's day, how much more can the living Word change our lives? The Word must be pretty important, and not just on the page, but in the person of our Savior. One of the things I wanted to do this morning is just prepare you to hear the Easter story. Uh, I'm actually not here to convince you of the Easter story. It's really not even my job to convince you of the Easter story. I'm not here giving an apologetic message. I'm here presenting you with the story, not trying to convince you of the story. Um, but you need, but we all need to listen. We all need to listen in the right way. You know, James had something pretty important to talk to, to share uh, in listening to the word. I'm going to take you to James for a moment. James chapter one, he says this. He says, "Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear." We're not always good at that, are we? Sometimes we just want to talk and talk and talk. He says, "Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak." Slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Uh, do you know what it means to receive the word with meekness? You know what the word meekness means? Meekness means you let the word, in this case, let the word have its way. Right? If you remember what Jesus said, he said, the meek will inherit the earth. 
They're the ones who push away onto the, uh, they don't have their own agenda. They push and push and push and push. No, 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 the meek receive what God has for them. So in this case, to receive the word with meekness, and we'll talk about the Easter story in a little bit, to receive the Easter story with meekness means to let the Easter story embrace you, penetrate you, change your mind, change your way of thinking, change your heart. Don't bring your agendas to the Word of God and to the Easter story. Let the Easter story begin to be written on you. Receive with the implanted Word. Uh, he goes on. Because this needs to be said about the Word, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, He's like a man who, intently, uh, who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Um, in other words, we have to do the Word in order to be changed by the Word. Uh, there's something that's told us in the Easter story that is supposed to change us, but it won't change us if we're not meek and we're not willing to say, okay, I will do what this what this carries me to right i will be a part of what christ has called me to um today is easter i don't need to tell you that but it is the mo it's the most it's, it's easter and it's the most attended uh, church day on the calendar uh we have fairly good attendance here today um and it's important that you hear the easter story that's coming but let me ask you this question. I have a question for you. It was so important, I decided to write it down. This is just the way I, I write my messages sometimes. I just sat down, I wrote this, and I thought, I'm having a little mic problem here and there, but it's okay. We'll solve that someday. Yeah, we don't. How many in our world will come to church? Think about that today. How many in our world will come to church and look into the Word for a moment? see themselves in that moment. Because the Word has a way of doing that, right? We read the Word and we reflect upon our own lives. See themselves in that moment. And then because they do not incorporate the Word into their day-to-day uh, the, the day -day lives, forget what they are like. And forget or, not, forget or not even realize how much they need the Word each and every day. It's not just today. It's not just Easter. It's Monday and Tuesday. In fact, it's every day of the year. You know, there's a reason why I keep teaching these classes during the week. There's a reason why we have a Sunday school program. We need the Word all the time, don't we? Not just today, but each and every day. How are you doing with that? Just asking the question, how are you doing with that? There's a warning about receiving the word. This, is, this warning also within it is the greatest of promises because look, 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 if we receive the word with, with meekness, if we receive the Easter story with meekness, letting it have its way on us, and if we end up actually responding to it and our lives begin to change by doing the word, then it will change us completely. Um, and let's be honest, the world doesn't know anything about this stuff. The world knows a lot about Jesus Christ.
because they can turn on the History Channel, right? They'll know something. It doesn't mean that the Word is changing them because they don't receive it with meekness and they're not willing to do it. Um, you know, some people think that the Easter, that the, the Easter story is just dead words on a page. Um, a lot of people think that the Bible is just dead words on a page from long ago. But if, and if that's the case, then the Easter story is a fraud and is nothing more, nothing more than a few words, the words that Gordon, uh, Arthur Gordon, read in that cemetery. It changed their day. It, it changed his day, but it, it won't change change a life. Uh, but we're here on Easter because the Word of God is the Word to dead. People. It's risen. So word to dead people. So Arthur Gordon was having a bad day, and words on a tombstone changed his day. But Jesus Christ is the living one, is the living word, and he is the one who can raise someone from the dead. And he wants to raise you from the dead today. Um, I, I've been teaching this class on Revelation throughout the year. I think we're like lecture 30. I think I'm going to finish this book in one, one more time, uh, one more lecture perhaps. It's not really just a lecture. It's more of a where we have a talk back and so forth. Um, but take a look at take a look at this passage. Maybe you see yourself here. I don't know. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead. You know, the Easter story is for the dead. I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. They're, they're books. These books are the books that they, essentially, they're records of, their, of the, what they've done in life. Books were opened. Then another book was opened. This is a different book. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was, according, uh, by what was written in the books. Not the book, but the books. According to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. These are people who've never been born again. These are people who've never experienced the life of Jesus Christ. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. They're judged by the books. Everyone has a book, you see. Are you going to be judged by your book, what you've done? Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The first death, of course, comes from the sin in the garden in Genesis. The second death is right here. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You know what the Bible's teaching us? You know what this word is? Before we hear the Easter story, you know what the Bible's teaching us? The Bible's teaching us that the world is dead. And if you have not been born again, and if you don't receive the Word of God with meekness and begin to do the Word of God, then you, go ahead, be judged by the books, by your book. Go ahead, be judged by it. But I wouldn't want those persons because I would rather be one of those in the book of life. And the book of life is right here for you. The book of life, we put tulips on the cross it's here for you it's here for me you can be written in the book of life well the easter story how will you receive it and how will you respond to it here we go luke's version of the easter story 
There's more to it than the verses I'm going to give you. But this is a part of it. It's the beginning of it. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. In other words, they had, they had, their, their uh, decision was to crucify Jesus. It was just give, them, give him over to the Romans, and they knew they would crucify him. As I talked about on Friday, the Sanhedrin, that council that's uh, being referred to in verse 50, that Sanhedrin had their way of killing people, uh, but the Romans had their way, and, their, and the Romans' way was brutal. It was a crucifixion. And he had not consented to their decision and action. He was, he was looking for the kingdom of God. Isn't that a remarkable statement? I mean, we're in the place that you don't expect. The person who's on the council, on, in this member of the Sanhedrin, you wouldn't expect a member of the Sanhedrin who put Jesus to death, you wouldn't expect that one of them to like, not be in favor of the decision and, and, and be looking for the kingdom of God. But there's always a surprise, isn't there? There's always something going on. God is always at work. That's always at work. Like when Jesus rose from the dead, it didn't even, like, what? This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. You know what I think that he was? I think he was a pretty desperate guy. I think he was looking for the kingdom of God. I think he actually had some hopes in this Jesus person. But those who were his peers crucified or sent Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified by him, he must have been heartbroken. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took a risk that he also would be punished. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in a stone where no one had ever been yet laid. Um, he was a rich man. You know, Jesus said about rich people, Easier to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But God's up to big things. God was involved here. And it was a day of preparation. The Sabbath was beginning. In other words, on Friday, when Jesus was crucified, there was very little time to get Jesus into the tomb. Joseph of Arimathea wanted to get him into his tomb, his own tomb. You see in verse 55, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. They re and then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. There wasn't enough time because you've got to remember, Jews' day, the Jews' day always begins at sundown. And so the Sabbath began at sundown and there was very little time to be able to prepare the body. And so the women, they returned, they went to their own place and prepared spices and ointments. They didn't have time to use the spices and ointments, but they had a plan. They had a plan. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. You know, these could be the greatest eight words that I've ever read. If Arthur Gordon was changed by eight words on a tombstone, how about these words? How about those words? But, don't you love that word? My son Justin loves that word for different reasons. He's nine. But I like that word right here. But on the first day of the week, eight words. But on the first day of the week. Think about that. 
the first day of the week, God's doing something new. But on the first day of the week, eight words that changed all human history, eight words that changed everything right here. But on the first day of the week, something has happened. Something's going on here. Jesus is not just in the grave. He's not in the tomb. Something else is going on. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, these women. You see, see, there's no question about the fact that they knew where the tomb was because they had just been there. They went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. See, they were going to anoint the body. Why? Because, you know, after a while, bodies smell, right? And, and I don't know if you know this, but in Jewish burial systems, if you're put, if you're put in a tomb, there's typically another part cut out on the wall where they would, after the, after the, the body uh, decays, they'll take the bones and they'll, 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 put it, they'll kind of put them all together and they'll put it up in this little, what's called a locali. And, and this, is, this is essentially what they were doing in terms of preparing the body so it wouldn't smell. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Can you imagine what was going through their minds? But when they went, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. I mean, imagine, what, who took him? How could this be? This is not possible. Uh, we saw him. He was dead. This is the place. We've got ointments and spices for him. And they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Well, they were perplexed about this. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Oh, I wonder who those are. They're angels. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? I want that to sink in for a moment. Why do you seek the living among the dead? That could go down as the greatest question ever asked. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and, and returning from the tomb, they told all, all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Remember there were only eleven because of what Judas had done. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed like an idle tale and they did not believe them. Uh, suddenly we get the names of the women that came to the tomb. There's other women too that we didn't get the names. So we got these two, got three of the names of the women that came to the tomb. These are the women that were stood by Jesus, that followed Jesus. These are the women who loved Jesus. They were they were, they, were, they were with them and they experienced this crucifixion and the fact that, they, that the body got put in the tomb and it seemed like it was all over. It was completely done. And by the way, don't you know that sin entered the world through women? It was a woman that, that Genesis tells us that sin entered the world. It's not an accident that right, the first, the first witnesses, the first witnesses, the first word of real life and hope was given to women because it will be through women that salvation begins to come, Right? Isn't it just like God to do that? That turn everything upside down. 
How many people have said, oh, blame the woman? No, 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 no. Give thanks to the woman, right? They heard the story. They heard this great uh, um, proclamation that he is alive. And then look, look, look at verse 11 again. But these words seem like a, to them, as in the 11 uh, apostles, like an idle tale. And they did not believe them. What about you? Do you believe this stuff? They did not believe them. We need to take those words seriously. Oh, there's no way God would give words to a woman. Absolutely, he did. These words seemed to them an idle tale, but they did not believe them. And by the way, you noticed in verse, uh, in verse 10, what Luke, the word that Luke uses here, he calls them apostles. You know that the word apostle in Luke's gospel is only used six times. The word disciples used 34 times. And so when, when Luke uses the word apostle, he means that he's like, he's like hey, hey, take a look at this, take a look at this, take a look at this. These are apostles. What does it mean to be an apostle? It means to be one who was sent. But the, these apostles had no message to, to, to take with them because they didn't believe it. Luke is playing with this here. They told the apostles. Luke could have said they told these things to the disciples. But no, he's trying to tell, tell us that these are the men who are going to go out and preach the gospel and, pro- and change the world and receive the message to these women. They did not believe them. But Peter, don't you love but again? But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is Luke's first Easter story. He's got more coming. I'll let you go home and read that. But Peter does four things here. Really does more, but I'm going to highlight four. He rises up. He hears the story. (laughs) He's the one who denied Jesus. He denied him. He's the one who denied him. He rises up. He had courage. Peter rises up. He runs to the tomb because he knows that his only hope is somehow to have a restored relationship with a living person. That's all his hope is in, is that one person being alive. He's going to put everything on that. There's not going to put any bets on anything else. It's all going to be on whether Jesus is alive or not. How many of us as Christians put our bets all kinds of places? Well, maybe the resurrection didn't happen. I'll put my bets over here and over here and over there. or Maybe it happened. No, it's all about the resurrection, the only resurrection of Christ. Peter rose, he ran, he saw, and then he marveled. How about you? How about you? Are you marveling today at what God has done in Jesus Christ? I'm not here to convince you. I'm here for you to encounter the living God, the living Lord who's risen from the dead. He has risen. So the question is today, very simple. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Father, we think about what Peter did. And how he began to marvel. I only ask that all things would become invisible before the cross. 
and before the empty tomb. It's important for us all to ask the question, what does this story have to do with our lives? And how are we going to be different? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So what are we going to do that our Lord is alive? Uh, you know, the fact that he rose from the dead kind of changes things, doesn't it? You know, it means that his words are actually, you know, um, the real deal. That his words actually have power. His words have authority. My biggest concern in the church throughout the world is that so many of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ really are not listening to the word and not letting the word change them. And that hence the message. Let the word change you. Embrace it. Let it penetrate you. Let it mold you. The goal of the church is to make disciples Make disciples. That happens through listening and by obedience to Jesus. Would all of you stand? So go in the joy of Christ. The, the resurrection is about joy. If it's about anything, it's about joy. It's about his great love for you. Maybe you didn't hear that from me today. But it's about his great, great, unending, unbelievable, crazy love for you. It's all about that. Go in his love, proclaiming the fact that he is risen. And because he is risen, you in the spirit are risen indeed. <laughs> you are risen in the spirit indeed. And one day, he's going to return. And those who have trusted him, whose name is written in the book of life, will live forever with him forever and ever. Go and be joyful. Amen.